Hello, and thank you for tuning into Gifted Insights, the true crime podcast that's dedicated to examining the most unimaginable cases through the paranormal lens of our amazing psychic Gina Nissanoff. Together with host, Kurt Dillon, this dynamic duo, along with other co-hosts and companions, delve deep into some of the most unorthodox, bizarre, and so far, unsolvable cases from all over the world. Join this team of extraordinary super sleuths as they endeavor to unlock the secrets that have so far eluded some of the world's finest investigators. This is the Gifted Insights Podcast. And here's your host, Kurt Dillon. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining me, your host, Kurt Dillon, for this, another fantastic episode of the Gifted Insights Podcast with my amazing co-host and psychic extraordinaire, Gina Nissanoff, as well as co-host Jennifer Falk and other special guests that might be popping in while the show is going on. We welcome you. We thank you for showing up. Tonight, we have a great case, a case that always affects me emotionally when we cover it in any aspect. We've put a lot of research into this case. There is a lot of uh, FOIA materials that we've gotten as far as evidence goes. In this, the case of the yogurt shop murders that plagued Austin, Texas in 1991 at the I Can't Believe It's Yogurt store. If you're not familiar with the story, you will be shortly. Four teenage girls ranging in age from 13 to 17 were viciously attacked, brutally beaten, savagely raped, mercilessly murdered, and then despicably set on fire. One of the most horrible cases I know of in my lifetime. Just a horrible occurrence that to this day remains unsolved. Prosecutors thought for a while that they had the guilty parties. They actually even convicted two men that they got confessions out of, only to find out later the confessions were coerced and that the men's constitutional rights were violated. Meanwhile, while they were waiting for their second trials to come through, DNA evidence that was at that time was 15 years old came in forensically exonerating them from the case. Really, really incredible circumstances surrounding this case. We have a lot of interesting information that you're going to want to hear, that you're going to want to get to know. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere because this amazing episode of Gifted Insights, The Yogurt Shop Murders, starts now. I can't believe the price of dog food is getting outrageous. And if I want to save a few bucks, I have to carry a 50-pound bag of kibble up the stairs into my apartment. There has to be a better way. There is. I'm so glad you said something. You poor thing, we've been using TummyTimePetSupplies.com for over a year now. TummyTimePetSupplies? What's that? TummyTimePetSupplies.com. They have all the major brands and most smaller brands as well. In fact, we not only get all of our dog and cat supplies there, but they also have everything we need for Brett's chinchilla, Ashley's ferrets, Haley's iguana, and even Jordan's pet tarantula. Wow, they sell all that? And more. But what's best about TummyTimePetSupplies.com is that they ship everything through Amazon Fulfillment. That means that everything you order gets delivered right to your door, and if you're an Amazon Prime customer, shipping is almost always free. That really sounds incredible, but I bet it's super expensive. Mark just got laid off and I can't afford all those special conveniences for a while. Nonsense. In fact, Tummy Time offers some of the most reasonable prices anywhere. You really have to be a whiz and coupon shopping to beat their everyday prices, and when they run sales, forget about it. 
I can't believe it, an incredible selection, great prices, and right to your door service. So what do you think? I think the next time I buy anything for my pets, I'm going to TummyTimePetSupplies.com. I think that's a very wise choice. Me too. That's right. For all your pet needs, it's TummyTimePetSupplies.com. Remember TummyTimePetSupplies.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me, your host, Kurt Dillon, for this episode number two of Gifted Insights, our amazing weekly podcast that is dedicated to the spiritual insights of the wonderful and talented psychic Gina Nissanoff. We greatly appreciate you, Gina. Nice to to see you with us again. Uh, Today, we are going to go over the infamous yogurt shop murders that occurred in Austin, Texas in 1991. Gina is going to dive deep and see what she gets on this incredible case with all the nuances that we introduced in the Veritas 7 teaser that went public just about a week ago. So with all that being said, I'm here today with Gina and with Jennifer Falk. Say hi, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. (laughs) (laughs) And April Hill. Hello, guys. It's April. And, of course, me, your host, Kurt Dillon. So, without further ado, this case has really stymied people for a lot of, for a long time, since 1991. It's been, the you know, over 30 years now uh, since these girls were, were killed uh, at the Austin, Texas location of, I can't believe it's yogurt, where I, in, they're in North Austin on the night of December 6th. The girls were Amy Ayers, Eliza Thomas, Sarah Harbison, and Jennifer Harbison. Those four girls were attacked. They were all sexually assaulted. And then their bodies, after being stripped naked, were set on fire. This case has gone back and forth. It had some resolution at one point. There were two men that were convicted of the crime. They were then, uh, after serving 10 years in prison, their sentences were overturned. And uh, we'll get into that there in a little bit. But for right now, April, who happens to live in Austin, she happens to be an Austin resident, uh, is really familiar with the case. It's in her backyard. So I'm going to let April be the one to give you folks some of the details about what we know. Right. Well, the four girls, um, I believe it was Eliza and Amy, both worked at the yogurt shop. No, Amy was the 13-year-old. It was, I believe, Eliza and Jennifer were the two that worked there. And Amy and the other girl came to ask Eliza for a ride home that night. Right, that's correct. And they later were gagged, tied up with their own clothing, and shot in the head. And then set on fire. The two guys named Scott and Springsteen, that's their last names. They were both convicted in circumstantial cases and did 10 years in prison before the Supreme Court of the state of Texas overturned their convictions, not because they were found to be innocent, but as Diane uh, would be able to uh, let us know if she were here on the call, they violated the prosecutor in that case, in both of those trials, violated the constitution uh, guarantee, the constitutional guarantee of the right to cross-examine all the people that testify against you. So what happened is the prosecutor introduced parts of each one of their confessions at the other one's trial without bringing the other one to actually testify in the courtroom. 
So because of that, they were denied their ability to impeach or cross-examine the other co-defendant. And as a result of that, the Texas State Supreme Court overturned their convictions 10 years later. Now, while over 90 days while they were waiting to be retried, forensics finally came back 15 years after the killing and showed that the DNA that was found on the girls did not belong to either one of those guys. So the girls, not saying that those guys weren't involved, obviously, we can't exclude them, but there had to be at least other guys that were there that contributed to that DNA sample. And the four that were originally suspected of doing it, along with a hundred other people who gave DNA to be excluded, were all excluded. So basically, the DNA doesn't match anybody that the police have ever tested, including some police and some forensic crime scene workers. So the prosecutor, kudos to her, actually came out and made a public statement that they were going to drop the charges against Scott and Springsteen because she could not, in good conscience, try them again without knowing who contributed that DNA. Good job. So that's where we are. So they they were waiting to get tried again after getting off on a technicality, only to find out that they were excluded by DNA while they were waiting to get tried again. So very, very interesting case here as far as the forensics and as far as the legalities of it. And on our website, we actually have the complete unedited and unredacted appellate decision in the case of Scott where the, the Supreme Court of the state of Texas just decided that there's no way, you know, we, this guy needs another trial. We can't convict him and sentence him to life without, without uh, you know, uh, using a testament, testimony against him, and he wasn't able to impeach that testimony. So with all of that being said, Gina, what are you thinking? Are you getting anything on this? Okay, um, just want to start off once again and let everybody know I did not, I know nothing about this case other than just what I heard right now. Um, but when I was given the pictures, I didn't look at anything other than the pictures of the young girls and, and the gentlemen that were convicted or were initially convicted. So what I, what I first got was that this was some sort of um, unrequited love thing <laughs> that, um, that there was at least one of the girls that, uh, uh, an individual was, so they went to that yogurt shop to see, see one of those girls that was working there and that the person that was involved would either work there prior or knew the owner. And there was either, they believe that there could have been some, some money there or money owed to this person. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know how many people were involved, um, but the fire was a last minute ditch. But, and I said initially um, that this was a rape, but that going in there for possibly a money to be involved, because I think that there was also wanting to get some money or believing that money was owed to this person. So I don't know if they looked at any previous employees um, from the shop or somebody that would have known the owners and this, and I pick up a male owner um, in particular, yes. um, should look into that. And I believe that all of the girls were, it, it was very easy. This person had some sort of a gun, but I feel like they had one of the girls first. And that's how the, the, the fear of one of them getting hurt was how they got all, all of them in the back and that they were, subdued and tightened. And I really believe that they, um, if there was not more than one, and I don't know that there was, cause I'm just looking at the girls themselves and I'm looking through somebody else's eyes. So 
I believe there could have been just one person. I really do. And I believe that this one person um, tied up and, you know, then had the others tied up or, you know, tied them all up. But I believe there was a threat. So for me, this would have been a gun, definitely. Um, tied them up. And there was something with, I know one, initially when you first heard you talk, my legs started to tingle. So there, and I'm talking about my shins. <laughs> so I don't know if gasoline or whatever was poured on the shins of somebody. I have no idea, but that's what I do pick up. In this case. Okay, so just to give you a little bit more background now as we're filling <laughs> the pieces, there were two guns that were used. There was a ah. 22 caliber pistol and there was also a 380 that were used. Um, only one of the, everyone was, all four of the girls were killed with a single gunshot to the back of the head, with the exception of Amy, the 13 year old. They know that she was the last one to be raped because she was taken into another room separate from the other three girls. The first gunshot was the 22 that went in and passed through her cheek, and it was not a kill shot. So then she was shot again with the 380 in the back of her head, and that shot was fatal. But she's the only one out of the group that was shot twice and wasn't immediately killed by the first shot to the head. Also, so you know, as far as what witnesses claim, now I'll get into a little bit more of the nuances of this case. There was a security guard that was online that came in about an hour before the store was going to close at 10 o'clock at night. He claimed that there was a guy in front of him wearing a military jacket and that the guy wearing the military jacket was letting everybody that came in the line behind him go in front of him for some reason. Now, to this day, that man has never been identified. Okay. But when it, the security guard came up and the guy in the military jacket told him to go ahead, the security guard refused. And told the guy in the military jacket to go. So the guy in the military jacket went up. And instead of buying yogurt. Which this is a yogurt shop. He just bought a can of soda. That was it. So Eliza. It's believed Eliza was the one that gave him the can of soda. Took his money. And also gave him a styrofoam cup filled with ice. He did not open it or drink it. He set it to the side on the counter. And asked if he could use the restroom. Eliza then took him in the back of the store. By not far from where their bodies were ultimately recovered and let him use the restroom. The security guard reported all of this in his, in his saying, but the security guard also said that he was in the store for about another 20 minutes and never saw that guy come out of the bathroom. When he left to take the yogurt back to where he was guarding with his, the other guys on his team, that guy still had not come out of the bathroom. And at this point, it was like 1030. It was about a half an hour before the store closed. Also, at about that same time, about 1045, a married couple came into the store and they said that there were two men sitting in the corner back booth. And if you look at the at the photos that we have on the website and also if you look at the photos that I gave to you, Gina, you'll see yeah. the photo of the inside the store. There's a back booth. Now, investigators made a big deal out of this back booth because you'll notice there are chairs upside down and set up on all the other tables in the restaurant except for that one. Also, all of the napkins, salt, pepper shakers, and ketchup and all that on all the tables were filled except for the condiment and napkin dispensers at that table, which led the investigators to believe somebody was sitting at that table up to the time the girls actually locked the door. 
So they had done their work and they had filled up the, the whole restaurant with the exception of that table. Now, the married couple, they, they described these two men as being in their 20s, dirty blonde hair, one with a beard, another one of them also wearing a military jacket, the other one a little stockier and heavier, wearing a black jacket. When I originally looked at this, the military jacket thing didn't really mean that much to me because at the time of this, I was actually fighting in Operation Desert Storm. So we had just entered into our first armed conflict slash war that we've had since the end of Vietnam. So there were a lot of patriotism going around. A lot of people were hitting army surplus stores to buy army army jackets. It just so happens that this was going on right about that time. And a matter of fact, the month before this case happened in November of 1991 is when Beth Midler released her song From a Distance, which was like the huge thing back then for support of our military troops. So yeah, you had people going and buying military surplus like it was going out of style. So that detail didn't really matter that much to me at the time when I heard it, but other people seemed to think that was more significant. There's also no tie in whether or not the guy in the bathroom and the two guys in the booth knew each other, were related to each other, or whatever. I opined in our original teaser episode, I believe they were working in cahoots and there were actually three of them that were in on it. That, that's just the, what I got out of it. But again, that's just process of elimination. So with all of that now, what are you thinking, Gina? What are you seeing? Did that well, help any know, at all? I'm still getting this was some sort of you know unrequited love or somebody had a crush on somebody that worked there. But I also believe um, that whoever that was either worked there prior or knew the owner. And as far as military goes, you know, that would have made a young girl working at night feel safe. <laughs> you know, we have our armed forces in our, you know, my God, what else can I get you? You know, and think about it. Young girls, they like to flirt with, um, you know, military guys or officers, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking, even though I'm a psychic, I mean, you're talking to a pepper mill girl and a pepper mill girl in, in, in uh, the Bay Area, you know, we're famous for those, you know, uh, things. We had a lot of officers hang out in our restaurant. You guys can all Google a pepper mill and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's a pretty um, well-known casino here in uh, California. But anyhow, getting back, I could see maybe this person came in quite often had to develop some sort of a crush on somebody there. Maybe they knew about it. Maybe they didn't, you know, I'm not sure. And I don't know which one Eliza was Bear with me. Cause when I'm looking at this picture of poor, you know, I keep looking at this young lady here at the top right there. I don't know what her name is. Um, which one that one is, she would be to, if I'm looking at the photos down, she would be to the top, right. That is the Eliza. On the top right, I believe that is Jennifer. Eliza. Oh, that is Eliza. Which one? Okay. That is Eliza, yeah. I didn't see the picture that well. Okay, great. So I believe that she was definitely the one targeted, 100%. Um, that that was the initial, you know. And I think the other girls just being there were a bonus, you know. And if there were two, that would make sense. One for you, one for me, right? Uh, you know, uh, so could be, it's at least two, but possibly more. But I, I would be curious to know if the owner knew of anybody or if they had footage of somebody going in pretty regularly or if she had, they had talked to her family and she had mentioned, you know, a guy 
you know, early 20s, um, coming in there, flirting with her or on the regular. Now, another another interesting aspect of this that I found fascinating is throughout all of this, while this was going on, the manager, there was a party store that was next door. The manager of the party store was there. Okay, and he actually gave a, a, a report to the police and the fire department when they came and showed up at the scene literally an hour after uh, this happened, because a, a passing police officer is the one that noticed the smoke and called the fire department. And that's how the crime was originally discovered mm. at that time. Uh, they interviewed the store manager of the party store next door. I was always of I had an inkling that's inescapable that. Because there were gunshots, because there were, he, he testified that uh, he heard pop, 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 but that was it. He didn't hear anybody scream. He didn't hear anybody yell. He didn't, whatever. I was always fascinated by the fact that he would have had to know that these young girls were closing this store by themselves and that there wasn't going to be any, any male figure escorting them home or coming to pick them up or whatever the case may be. So, if he had developed, like you said, some kind of amorous attraction to one of them or the other, either Jennifer or Eliza, uh, you know, what a better way to capitalize on it than staging uh, a robbery or, uh, you know, uh, so that he could get in there and, and, and do what he wants to do. He would have intimate knowledge of the layout of the building because he worked there every day, too. Or the security guard. <laughs> you know, right. he's somebody yes. in the regular... That came in there that saw. Yeah. I keep picking up that and, little girl, that one. Yeah. And and the funny thing, now I do believe the security guards DNA got tested and got ruled out against the DNA that was on there. But you're not the first, you're definitely not the first person to think that the security guard was involved. Or uh, because it, was, it might not have just it might not have been the one that was there that day. You know? Right. I mean, we, we just don't know. But um I like Jennifer, what's your take on this? Um, I'm really actually thinking that the guy that was in the bathroom, not that I think there was two, the guy that was in the bathroom is the same guy that was sitting at the booth with another male. I believe like Gina said, I think there was an unrequited love that he just got jealous and in the heat of the moment, um, ended up murdering these girls. It's an execution style murder back of the head. There is no question of that. But the fact that it's such a vile interaction, the rape of these girls, um, that to me is is flat out saying that he wanted power over over them. It was a power issue. And because she refused to go out with him or whatever, whoever turned him down, he obviously, you know, didn't take well to rejection. And I really honestly don't think it was a military member. I think it was someone who was just thought it was cool to have a military jacket. And people, he noticed people gave him different looks than if he wasn't, you know, his regular schlub self sitting on the corner. So I, I honestly believe that he's not part of the military. I believe that he, the girls thought he was harmless and, it, that's where they thought wrong and he just turned one day on them with his friend amazing amazing what do you, what do you think of that gina so you uh, you're are you still getting the vibe that it was only one guy that ultimately did this or do you think that there a good chance that there was more than one? Oh yeah especially now that you know that there were two guns case, used 
Yeah, well, definitely. Clearly, there probably were two guys, more more definitely. But, um, you know, I'm really believing, you know, depending upon how old they are and how they, you know, I mean, back in the 90s, who, who knows? I think that, you know, the girls were probably, especially Eliza was being friendly, could have been, you know, flirting with him, but not maybe not intentionally or maybe intentionally and didn't believe it would go to that extent. But it My did. husband has a saying of his saying is um a twinkle in her eye is not always for you sometimes it's just a twinkle in her eye so maybe (laughs) he caught feelings off of something that he thought was a little bit more than what it really was i mean because that's a good us as as girls yeah he he says it a lot he's actually a very smart guy but uh he i should bring this up i should have him on the show well he married you so yeah i gotta of course he is definitely the smartest person on the planet (laughs) but um he uh you know it's it's one of those things where it's like um a lot of especially back in the early 90s i was a young teenage girl then too and it was very oh you know, you don't want to be too nasty or you're never going to get married. You're never going to have a boyfriend. And, you know, it was the age of let's placate people and not set boundaries. And maybe that was what was happening. She finally set a boundary and he didn't like it because we weren't in that age. Just my opinion. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Now, one of our listeners asked, was gasoline used and wouldn't that suggest premeditation. The point of origin was the bigger factor uh, in this case rather than what was used. They know it was not gasoline that was used. It is believed that the cleaning supplies that were there in the store, and if you look at the photos, you'll see the image of the melted cleaning supply rack. They believe that that uh, cleaning supply rack was the point of origin. The original fire department report stated that the cleaning supplies that were there on that rack were what was used to uh, facilitate the fire. Later on, when Scott and Springsteen confessed, they said that they didn't set the fire on the rack, but instead took chemicals off the rack and poured it on the girls. So then, since that was debunked by the original fire department report, lo and behold, they got another fire inspector to come and amend the original report after looking at crime scene photos and changing the point of origin to be the girls and not the rack. And also the telephone that you see in that other photo was melted extremely what do you got with that jennifer okay um i know nowadays it's it's huge that especially in jails and places i used to be a corrections officer so i apologize i that's gonna be a lot of my reference we had a lot of cleaning supplies that were not um flammable So I'd be interested to know when that started because a lot of our cleaning supplies were not flammable. Even when I was working um, janitorial for a huge office building, not flammable, not poisonous, but supposedly they did the job. So I guess that would be a question that I would want to know when they supposedly started that. Actually, I can answer that for you. Um, In between being a psychic, I have a full-time job. I work in healthcare, and I'm the EVS manager, so we clean the hospitals. Um, Actually, if you think about it, you have flammable cleaning equipment in your house. We have Windex. Windex is alcohol, so it actually is flammable. 
Um, and so uh, there is a, a percentage of alcohol in most cleaning supplies as a binder. So alcohol itself is a clean. Now when you combine, and a lot of these chemicals are corrosive. And so when they're subjected to heat, they do become flammable. Thank you. That I wasn't aware of. And, uh, you know, because it was always, it was one of those things where I was like, wait a minute, no, how no. is this not, how is this flammable if it's supposedly well, not harmful for anything? And, you know, it says on there that it's not flammable. Well, so they're big fat liars is well, what you're saying. Yes, yes and no. Nowadays we have a, a lot of green products, but, you know, um, they have to be active and they have to be, you know, have a, a kill time. But just going back to the case, you know, I, I said in my, in my initial reading, that I got, um, the, the fire was a last minute decision. And I know when you guys first started talking, I felt like my shins, something on my shins. So I would be curious to, to know um, via the reports, the autopsy reports and the medical examiner reports, if it was poured on their, their shins or at least one of their shins. And one of our listeners actually posed an interesting question. Were canisters there for whipped cream and are whipped cream canisters flammable? And the answer is they're extremely flammable and they're also under pressure. So they're also explosive, <laughs> which is which pretty interesting in and of itself. So great question there. That was uh, that was pretty good. The uh, yeah, like you were saying, Jennifer, too, I know. They can list things legally as being not flammable if there's very little or no chance that they would combust under normal circumstances. However, just like Gina said, if a temperature gets hot enough, things that aren't usually flammable become flammable. So you got, you have a lot of that uh, too. And if, like I said, if you see that photo of the, of the cleaning supply rack and the telephone that was in the photos that I supplied to you, that fire burned pretty darn hot to do that to it. You know, back in those days, we still had the corded phones that hung on the wall. That, that At that time, there were still pay phones and a couple of even rotary dial phones around. I know I'm just dating myself, but that's all right. But the, uh, to do that to one of those phones, they were made out of heavy, pretty heavy plastic. Because let's face it, we all used to derive some pleasure out of slamming those things when, when we got mad enough. So those phones were built to take a lot of abuse. And they did. You used to get mad at and somebody. You sure slam did. that thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And, the satisfaction of that. Really is, yeah, and and this the finality of bang, you know, just uh, put it down on somebody. And as hard as I've done it, I never broke one of them. So I mean, you would really have to, you really got to do something serious to that phone to for <laughs> for to break it. And they were really made quite well. If you mix chemicals, that becomes extremely dangerous. Um, back in those days, most people and people still do have. Clorox bleach. <laughs> so absolutely. mixed with ammonia is very toxic. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, an incredible situation. This case. Go ahead, April. Yeah, I have a quick question. Um, I also share the belief that the suspects were the two men at the booth. Um, do you think it's possible that the guy in the camo, uh, when he went to the bathroom, he may have propped open the door? I'm just curious of how you see that he got back into the shop. Do you see anything about that? Um, the, well, we, they were still in there. You know, they were in the shop. After closing time, I'm sure they had to leave. So I'm just curious how you see how they entered the shop again. I don't think they ever left. I think they, told, they locked the doors, told the gentleman, go ahead and finish whatever you got. 
were cleaning up and clearly they were cleaning up because they were lifting the chairs up. That's what you do, you know, 30, 20 minutes before you close. They were letting them know and locking the door and that, so I don't think they left. Yeah, we've had, I've, when I was young and have worked jobs, I've locked people in with me and it's yeah. very possible. I don't think they left either. I, I was thinking that too when we initially talked to, or when we initially discussed the uh, this case. But um, yeah, I was just curious to see what you thought. Yeah, I don't think you left. No. Interesting, interesting. There were opinions. Actually, I agreed with one of them that the if the girls had asked them to leave when the guy was in the back using the bathroom, he could have propped the back door open and they could have walked out, let the girls lock them out, walk around and come back in through the back door while the girls were cleaning without the girls even knowing that they came back in. So, but again, that's assuming all three of them were involved. The two guys in the back booth, the guy that went to the bathroom, really intriguing. Uh, just really, And we don't know if the guy that went to the bathroom is one of the two guys that was sitting in the booth. We know that two, both of them were wearing a military jacket, but nobody that saw one of them saw the other one. So you have people that reported on seeing the two guys in the booth and you have people that reported seeing the guy go to the restroom, but you don't have any reports of anybody seeing both of them. Actually, when we discussed it before, didn't we come to the conclusion that the guy that went to the restroom never came back? (laughs) Well, he never came back as far as the security guard was concerned. The The only other people that were in the store after the security guard left that would have had a non braked a non-broken visual on the inside of the store are the girls, and obviously they're all yes. dead. So they would know, but as far as I know, there weren't any right. other customers at that time that the security guard left that interviewed that they ever saw both of them. Now, we have the married couple that came in afterwards, but they never reported seeing the guy that went to the bathroom. They only reported seeing the two guys in the back booth. At the table, right. And that's yeah. why I think it was the same person. Because, I mean, there weren't, there's never been any mention of three. Or maybe, right. you know, that that's why I believe, you know, that the two men with that they were talking about with the, you know, the two separate incidences where they saw two separate men with um, the camo jacket, I believe are the same person. I agree, Jennifer. I totally agree. Yeah. Now, another qu- a quick question, Gina, is the four guys that were originally tabbed for this by the authorities uh when the cops went in they got a couple of statements from people they went to a mall nearby because a girl young girl that went to school with the victims also went to school with a bunch of guys that she said in her report initial report the same night of the deaths that uh, the one guy that they all went to school with was at the local mall with a handgun And he didn't seem like he was in the best frame of mind. So the cops all went to the mall. They found the guy. And they obviously, they confiscated the gun. He was only 18 years, not even, he was 16 years old. And he had the gun. However, later ballistics found that that was not one of the guns that was used in the murders. So it was just another guy that had the gun. Anyway, when they narrowed down his circle of four friends, that's how they narrowed down the four guys that the authorities and the investigators believe were responsible, which led to the arrests of Scott and Springsteen. So that's how Scott and Springsteen, that kid, when he was being interrogated by authorities, is the one that gave the officers the name of Scott and Springsteen. And it's ironic that... Uh, I believe it's Scott 
was believed to have had a crush on Jennifer, one of the girls that worked there at the store. And again, Scott was ultimately convicted and then ultimately let go when it was found that his DNA did not match either of the two DNA samples that were found on the girls. Now, the defense in defending Scott and Springsteen, they posited what they call the legal theory of five. That means if the prosecution is right and Scott and Springsteen are absolutely involved, that there has to be at least five people that were involved in these murders. Reason being, you have two guys that are not contributors to the DNA that's on the scene. So if they're guilty, that's two. You have two more guys who contributed to the DNA who are as of yet unidentified. That's four. And then you have a fifth guy, which is uh, a, a secondary shooter or, or, or whatever the case may be. So they posit the theory of five that if the, if the prosecution is right and Scott and Springsteen are involved, there has to be at least five guys involved in this murder. I so I was just wondering, Gina, what you get, what you feel about that. I don't believe five at all. Two minimum, possibly three. I would be able to say oh, that feels good to me, but two for sure. And it could, and it, but I still, it could easily be one. One that grabbed one, put a gun to her head. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to kill her. Go in the back, you know, make them tie each other up, tie, you know, take the one, rape them, you know tie that one up, rape them. So if they're tied, that, that would explain, um, you know, nobody hearing them scream. And most yogurt shops in the 90s, even now, have loud music, loud, you know, music playing um, when you're in there, especially if you're cleaning and closing. Well, and what are the, what about those walls in between the two shops? Are they, is it Very cement? Thin. Is it we thin? Don't. We don't know. Very no, and that was another thing that we talked about in our original episode because I, you know, I, we've all worked in those strip mall stores. Unless you have something in there where there's like a lot of heavy construction, those walls are made out of paper. I, you, I mean, you could hear the cockroaches walking in the wall if you listen closely and it's quiet enough in the store. Uh, you know, so I always I found it hard to believe that the party store manager next door didn't hear commotion uh, other than just pop, pop, pop. Uh, because even a 22, never mind the 380, that 380 going off inside a building is going to make the windows rattle. All right. The, a 22 Definitely. might sound like a firecracker, except when you're in a room with bad acoustics and a concrete floor, th that even the 22 is going to sound pretty damn loud. Yeah. And shame you on know? him for not going and checking on those kids. Shame yeah, on him. Right. So if he's, if he's not involved, he should be ashamed of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I you should feel responsible. DNA. Somebody should check his DNA. I, and I don't know. Well, that's what we were talking about in the teaser episode that we did last week. I don't know. I didn't see anywhere the store manager was one of the people that was tested. He very well might have been because what the reports say is that 105 people all total had their DNA tested and compared to the samples that were on the dead girls. And absolutely none of them were all one. All 105 were ruled out as possible contributors. Of course, that only means that the manager didn't rape them. That doesn't mean that, you know, he wasn't in on it. He didn't plan the whole thing. He might have just been out for the money or whatever. Who knows? Also, another point that I brought up. And as a correction officer, you might have known this. I know a resident federal prosecutor, Diane, would know this too, is you can rape somebody 
and not leave your DNA. It happened. It's not definitive that 100% of the time when you rape somebody, you're necessarily going to leave DNA. It might be there and they might not just, they might've just not found it. So I always tell people that when they're like, well, you know, there was a DNA sample. Well, that doesn't mean there weren't other DNA samples that were not found. Now, of course, that's not enough to convict anybody. Well, you can also walk into a shop and leave your DNA and have nothing to do with it. You're not going to leave it on them and unless you're leaving hair, you know, but you can you can walk into somewhere and still leave your DNA in fingerprints places, you know, without even being a party of the nasty that went on afterwards. Well, exactly right. And and that's the one thing I try to caution everybody being a forensic psychologist. I try to caution everybody on the dangers of DNA because (laughs) DNA is a wonderful thing. It's a fantastic science, but. There are circumstances where it can be manipulated. There are circumstances where it's malleable. And if somebody is in the know, all you have to do is take a couple of good genetics classes to know how to get rid of your DNA, how to make it look something other than what it is. And it, interesting, Diane sent a message. She was listening to us, and she said she agreed that you never know what DNA was left. And that's true. DNA that's on a site could have been left uh, you know, a long time. It, it does degrade yeah. under certain circumstances, but in the confines of the back room of a store where it's not raining on it, snowing on it, there's no extreme temperatures, a DNA profile could last a long time without degrading under those, uh, you know, interior conditions like that. So, Gina, anything else coming to you in this? That's all, guys. That's all that I've got. Hopefully, uh, we got a little bit more out of there. Um, not sure, but um, I'm excited to be part of this team and I'm excited to bring um, from an intuitive perspective, uh, hopefully some more clues. You never know. I can't believe the price of dog food is getting outrageous. And if I want to save a few bucks, I have to carry a 50 pound bag of kibble up the stairs into my apartment. There has to be a better way. There is. I'm so glad you said something. You poor thing, we've been using TummyTimePetSupplies.com for over a year now. Tummy Time Pet Supplies? What's that? TummyTimePetSupplies.com. They have all the major brands and most smaller brands as well. In fact, we not only get all of our dog and cat supplies there, but they also have everything we need for Brett's chinchilla, Ashley's ferrets, Haley's iguana, and even Jordan's pet tarantula. Wow, they sell all that? And more. But what's best about TummyTimePetSupplies.com is that they ship everything through Amazon Fulfillment. That means that everything you order gets delivered right to your door, and if you're an Amazon Prime customer, shipping is almost always free. That really sounds incredible, but I bet it's super expensive. Mark just got laid off and I can't afford all those special conveniences for a while. Nonsense. In fact, Tummy Time offers some of the most reasonable prices anywhere. You really have to be a whiz and coupon shopping to beat their everyday prices, and when they run sales, forget about it. I can't believe it, an incredible selection, great prices, and right to your door service. So what do you think? I think the next time I buy anything for my pets, I'm going to TummyTimePetSupplies.com. I think that's a very wise choice. Me too. That's right. For all your pet needs, it's TummyTimePetSupplies.com. Remember TummyTimePetSupplies.com.
right, everybody, welcome back. Just wanted to take a couple of minutes here before we close out for the night to thank you again for listening to Gifted Insights and to ask you to please take a minute, if you enjoyed the show, to follow the show, to rate the show, and to like the show. It only takes about a minute or a minute and a half on your part, but those metrics really are very important to our sponsors and to our advertisers. So we ask that if you enjoyed the show, to please take a minute to do that because it is extremely, extremely important to us. That's going to do it for us for tonight. On behalf of my co-host and incredible psychic, Gina Nissanoff, this is Kurt Dillon wishing you all a great night. Take care. God bless. We'll talk to you soon.